You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. You talking to me? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. All right, welcome in everybody to the what is it, Sam, the fifth episode of Inglorious Podcasters. Yes, sir. I think it's the fifth one. Yeah, we've got uh, we got a lot of news today. Uh, uh, first of all, I hope you guys enjoyed the last podcast episode with um, Ben from the Outlaw Country podcast. We had a lot of fun putting that together and watching uh, Walk the Line. So I hope you guys liked it. Uh, let us know if you have any feedback um, on on our on our episode. So uh, first of all, for our for this episode, we've got a lot to talk about. Sam, have you been watching anything good lately? Anything, anything at all? Playing some video games at all? Did you get Ghost of Tsushima yet? No, no. My brother has the PlayStation, so oh, uh, played played some NCAA football today. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, uh, won the championship with Nebraska, like my tenth championship. So <laughs> dynasty still going strong. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the middle of the week, just ready to, uh, get done with this week and, uh, get done with all this homework. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, um, all right. Well, that's good. I, uh, I watched, um, one of Stanley Kubrick's early films, uh, Paths of Glory. You and Tommy... Yeah, I need to watch that. You and Tom need to watch that movie, dude. That's a movie Tom would love. It's about World War One, mm-hmm. and it's it's so good. It's it's probably like Stanley Kubrick made that film when he was twenty eight years old, and I think that it's probably like in his top three films that I've ever seen from him. Really? Like it's up there wow. with like The Shining and stuff. It's it's like that good. Oh, and by the way, I bought uh, a ticket for uh, a clockwork orange i'm gonna see that in theaters dude Ooh, have you yeah. ever seen it i've never seen it so i'm excited to see it in theaters nice nice i heard, I heard it's really really weird yeah yeah okay all right well um for our are, are you ready to get into some movie news yes sir all right our first bit of movie news uh the new uh no time to die trailer came out and uh, this film has been delayed since what April, I believe it is. It's supposed to yeah, be yeah, since since like uh, early April. Okay, okay, yeah, and it just—I mean—it seemed like recycled footage that we've already kind of seen before. Um, I have only seen the first James Bond film, uh, Casino Royale. That's that's really? the only James Bond film I, I've ever seen in my life. Um, I really want to get into them a lot more. Uh, I just haven't had time. Like I said, I've been watching Stanley Kubrick movies lately. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what I've been on. Um, but Sam, I I know you're kind of you're kind of a James Bond fan, aren't you? I've seen a couple of them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Okay. I, I I just like the the genre spy thriller, which oddly enough we're going to be reviewing. 
uh, spy filler here, spy thriller uh, uh, here later. So, yeah, I mean, the ones that I've seen so far, I've I've really enjoyed. I I obviously really liked Casino Royale and uh, Skyfall is uh, really good too. Awesome. Yeah, I I want to definitely check out more. Um, I think what's kind of holding me back is I heard so. Casino Royale is the first one for the uh, Daniel Craig films. Then it's Quantum of Solace, I believe, and a lot of people hated that movie. So I yeah, I'm holding I, it back. I, yeah, I, I heard that too. Yeah, I think that's what's kind of holding me back from actually seeing it. Mm-hmm. So I I'm not sure, you know, exactly when I'm going to get around to it, but I'm probably going to just try and power through them like right before uh, No Time yeah. to Die comes out because. I feel like this is going to be like a really good film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's got a good budget behind it. Daniel Craig is going to come out doing well. And uh, Rami Malek is going to also do well in this film also, um, especially after his uh, first Oscar. So I think, I think he can come out and do, do really well. I know his uh, Oscar win for Bohemian Rhapsody was – very controversial, but I still do think he's a pretty good actor. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's a a pretty good choice for a for a villain because he's still uh, I I still kind of think of him as a rather new uh, actor, um, and uh, I, I'm just really excited to see what they can do uh, because when I saw Tenet and saw the the new trailer, uh, it, it looked really good. Um, uh yeah i i have high hopes for this movie i know that this has been uh very uh largely publicized that this will be daniel craig's last um as uh james bond i believe this is actually the 25th james bond movie too i think so, it is yeah because yeah. it's been called bond 25 yeah yeah exactly yeah and there were actually rumors a few years ago that uh christopher nolan was going to direct it but obviously that didn't that didn't happen. He wasn't gonna he wasn't about to do that. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's gonna have great action. You know, you're gonna have that. And uh, I, I don't know. I really like Daniel Craig. I think he's uh, underrated actor. It's kind of crazy to me that like before Casino Royale came out, he that casting decision was very heavily criticized mm-hmm. that that and the Heath Ledger casting for Joker were like the two in the like early mid to early 2000s those were the two casting choices that people were like what the hell what are they yeah, doing? I know which is I, crazy because they both they both hit out of the park for me yeah and like a lot of people I don't think a lot of people had seen Layer Cake which is kind of the film that got Bond or got him the role you're shaking your head. What's up? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, and, um, and it, it's it's a really good film. He does really well in the film. And it's it's definitely the reason what what got him the Bond role. And I think he I, – I don't – I just – I don't understand what people were so upset about when that announcement was made because, like, he had been such a great actor up until that point. So I don't know – who do you know who they were wanting instead of him? Was there anybody like the fans were eyeing? Well, I know one of the one of the very last uh contenders for the role was actually uh Henry Cavill. 
uh, okay. Superman, which I think that would have been he he probably would have been a little too young for that. But man, I I think he's a really really good actor. So I I also would be down for him to be the the new Bond. I know a lot of people want like Idris Elba. Uh, as the role or someone else. Uh, I know Tom Hardy's been linked to it too, mm-hmm. which I, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to that. <laughs> um, Tom Hardy Stan. Yeah, he's my boy. Um, <laughs> actually, I'd probably rather see him as a Bond villain than anything. Yeah, I feel like he'd be a great villain for Bond. That's probably what he would take over being bon- uh, James Bond. I don't think he's interested in being the hero that much. Yeah, as long as he can cover his face in the film, I think he's cool with it. Yeah, true. The dude loves to cover his face in every movie he's in, except for The Revenant. Well, and I-, I like that because, like, tells me that, like, he doesn't care. And he, like, I think, because I, s- I remember seeing an interview from Christopher Nolan about it. He was like, you know, Tom takes that as like a challenge and that's like an interesting challenge for him to act with like one eye because I actually think his performance in Dunkirk is so good and yeah. he he doesn't even do anything really. He just stares the entire yeah. time, but it's, he does such a good job, job with it. Uh, and I mean, his Bane performance is uh, an interesting one. But uh, I, I find it uh, to be pretty awesome. So, yeah, uh, Tom Hardy would be good as uh, Bond. Uh, that got a little off topic there. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, yeah. we're going to be talking about Christopher Nolan a ton on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, he's my boy. Should we get to probably <clears throat> the biggest news of the day? Yes, sir. The Dune trailer. <clears throat> the Dune trailer finally dropped. And this movie looks insane. I, I got to say, the, the one thing that I, I, I just I don't know if I buy, not because it's I, – I, I just don't buy what Timothy Chalamet said. Apparently, he had only been – there had been two green screen shots the whole time he was on set. The rest, everything else is practical. I mean, I'm not buying that – so much because I feel like a lot. I feel like a little bit more would be some green screen thrown in there. I I definitely think that the majority of this film would be practical effects, but I just feel like with with something this epic and something this large, there would be a little bit more green screen to me. But I mean, it's his word against mine. Well, it was probably like what they did with Interstellar because they they used no green screen. It was like mainly just practical effects and miniatures and stuff like that. I think they did, they probably did a lot more of like that stuff than, you know, just standing in front of a screen, uh, Marvel style. Yeah, for real. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely pumped for this movie. Um, I finally got HBO max back. So I want to watch the Dune film from 1984. Oh, nice. So I want to watch that. So it can give me kind of an idea for what this is going to be about. Um, mm-hmm. But I think like everything, like the scale of this film looks incredible. I, um, I'm i just super excited for it. I feel like everybody's going to bring their A game and it's got an insane cast. And it's got my boy, Timothy Chalamet, leading it. I'm so excited. He's such a good actor. And I'm excited what he's going to be able to bring to to, to the film. 
Yeah, I, I'm certainly curious to see uh, how this movie plays out. Uh, you know, for me, like, Denis Villeneuve is probably my number two favorite director right now. And a lot of it is because he's makes movies very similar to Christopher Nolan in that they are, you know, epic, you know, movies with, uh, you know, kind of like, just these really interesting stories. And I mean, Villeneuve is just on a roll right now uh, of movies. He's kind of where I think Chris Nolan was from like 2006 to 2010, where he was, you know, Nolan dropped, you know, The Prestige, The Dark Knight and Inception back to back to back. And Villeneuve dropped Prisoners, Sicario. Um, He also dropped Enemy. Uh, Blade Runner, Blade Runner, uh, Arrival. Yeah. You know, so he he's on a hot streak right now. Um, I'm really curious to see how Chalamet does with such a big budget, and you know, being, I guess the main the main hero, the the protagonist, the you know, I want to see how he does with like the action and whatnot because. I don't know. We we haven't seen him in that before. He's he's done mostly small films mm-hmm. uh, to this point, except for uh, he had the small role in Interstellar, and God, that's right, he did. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like you said, the cast is really really good. Um, I think that's one of uh, Villeneuve's strong suits is casting, um, especially in Prisoners. I feel like everyone in that movie was like on their a game and like you said i think that you know having having like people like oscar isaac and rebecca ferguson like as uh chalamet's parents in the movie like those are two like i think the more underrated actors working today and uh yeah i'm, I'm just really excited i was a little underwhelmed by the trailer i thought it was a little uh basic until the end where when they showed the when they showed the worm or whatever uh but uh it it was still uh pretty cool and you know i'm still excited um and yeah i i have so i'm i'm trying to keep my expectations though like realistic like i i want i want this to be good i don't want what happened with Tenet where I was expecting it to be a masterpiece right away. And I think that was a problem that Tenet had when it released. And we'll talk about that later when we review it, but I don't want to get like too overhyped, you know, just because of a trailer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame you going back to the Timothy Chalamet thing. I think, um, yeah, he's definitely never worked on something like this big before. I think, aside from Interstellar, I think his biggest like budget role was maybe Little Women. I probably, and um, it, of course, he did great in that. So I'm I'm excited to see what he can do with this larger scale. I think with Denis Villeneuve, you know, helping him through it, you know, uh, Denis Villeneuve is a fantastic director, so I think what he's going to do here is, is definitely going to be good. So I'm definitely excited for it. And um, the cinematography here looks insane. Um, I, 
I thought uh, what you said about the trailer being a little underwhelming. I, I, I don't necessarily agree, um, but I think it was super well done. I feel like it was just, it just gave you shots. It didn't really set up a plot for you, yeah. which, which is what I, I want. I don't yeah. want any, anything. I don't want to know anything going into this film. I just want shots mm -hmm. of, the, of, of what it looks like, get me hyped for it, which I already am. And I I just can't wait to see it. What what date did they say that this was going to come out again? So uh, originally, I know it was set for November. Um, let me just look real quick. Dune release date. Uh, so it's actually slate. It's got the Star Wars date, uh, December eighteenth, right before okay. Christmas. Um, Damn, that's a long long ass yeah, time. Li literally, that's I'm. That's like basically where every single Star Wars film has yeah. release. Um, uh, yeah, and, and honestly, like I don't know about you, but like some of the shots really resembled Star Wars, which again tells you just how influential Dune was. You know, George Lucas didn't necessarily come up with all this just in his head. You know, he get, he had some help. He had the Dune novels. He had Akira yeah. Kurosawa. Um, well, actually, in from I actually while watching this trailer, I got uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine vibes from it. Just the way it looked and how like depressing it was in like the future, how sort of uh, a dystopian future it looked. It just gave me Blade Runner twenty forty nine vibes, and I was super super pumped for that. Yeah, I will say the cinematography looks great. It doesn't look like uh, Deacon's, you know, immaculate uh shots uh from blade runner but that is like yeah i think damn near impossible to ever like uh pass because like literally even like just in the trailers i remember for blade runner i was like every single like shot could be put like on like a poster mm -hmm. like everything was, was beautiful in that amazing film. it was amazing especially the part where k ryan gosling is walking through Las Vegas and it's got that orange, you know, tint to it. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's stuff like that, that it's, it's going to be so impossible to live up to. So, I mean, Deacon's already made, is a master behind the camera. So I definitely. Somebody think, else now. What's that? Um, the cinematographer for this one is Greg Frazier. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's somebody different now, but I'm just, like just in general with like Deneville and other films, I know he's worked with Deacons a couple times, but it's just, it's going to be so hard to live up to what Deacons was able to do, especially with Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'm, I cannot wait for this film. Um, it's actually been my number one most anticipated movie of the year. I know yours is the movie that we are about to review here soon. But for me, it's it's um, Dune. I cannot wait for this movie. I think it's got such a cool plot. And I'm not usually for sci-fi films. I'm, they're not usually my thing. I can, unless they're really, really well done, I can't usually get into them. But this one, this one really has me energized and I'm really pumped for it. Well, so here's the thing. Like, I never really thought of myself as a big sci-fi guy either. But then looking at like my top 25 movies, like a lot of them are considered sci-fi movies. Yeah. Like in Inception, Star Wars, um, 
you know, uh, Blade Runner is sci-fi, uh, Alien, um, you know, it, I think when, when you can do it right, like it's, it honestly becomes one of the best genres for sure. Mm-hmm. And Cause there's so much you can do with it. Yeah. Because usually those are set in like a futuristic world and the best movies of that is like you put like situations that like are actually happening like now or what happened in past human history and then you kind of set it in this unique world with unique characters and that's what you know that's how Star Wars became so popular it was just this fresh new world that was just you know he Lucas obviously took a lot of inspiration but he had so much, you know, creativity. Like even now, like after making, you know, nine movies in the saga and a few spinoffs and a show and a animated show, like there's still so much you can explore just mm-hmm. in the Star Wars world. And, you know, that just shows you just like the, I think the potential that a sci-fi film can have. And I think Dune has unlimited potential and I think that's why it's such a good idea and why uh, Villeneuve uh, made the decision to make this into two films not rush everything into one film yeah that's that's really a good thing that he's made it into two films because I've said I've said this before obviously you can't pack everything into one film I'm glad he's not doing that I'm glad he's making it into two films and Normally, people would think that it's just a cash grab to make this into two separate films. But if you look at, at Blade Runner, that could have easily been considered a cash grab. But it's or Blade Runner twenty forty nine. You can easily people could have easily considered that a cash grab. But it's it's separated itself from from the original. Although I mean, the storyline definitely came over from the original, but. You know, it introduced us new characters, and Harrison Ford was barely in it. You know, he was only yeah. the third third act of the film. Yeah. So it de- I I don't think that Denis Villeneuve is is using this strategy as a cash grab. He's just using using it as a way to just make a damn good story out of this great property that a lot of people love, and I really commend him and respect him for that. Yeah, and I think. Judging by, like, how long it's taken for him to make this, this, I would assume, is one of his passion projects. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he's said that, too. Um, And I think Blade Runner was kind of like his trial run, in a way. It was his way to prove... hell of a trial run. Yeah, yeah, it was his way to prove to Warner Brothers that he can make this epic sci-fi movie and he needs time and he needs two movies and he needs a great cast and this is his first movie since what 2017 with with blade runner yeah and remember like he came out with two movies in 2013 movie in 2015 2016 and 2017 and those are all those are all good and he's now taken you know a three-year break basically to make these two movies so he obviously has a clear plan in place. Um, and I mean, 
that's good because we know a another uh, sci-fi franchise that had uh, no plan apparently. <laughs> yeah, let's let's. That's a great segue, actually. Let's get into that. So uh, today on Twitter, it was confirmed uh, Daisy Ridley, who had played Ray in the new Star Wars trilogy, she said on Jimmy Kimmel that they really didn't know who her parents or her grandparents were going to be until the reshoots of episode nine. In episode seven, they were thinking that she she could be a Kenobi. Then episode eight, they said she was no one. Then episode nine, they started filming. Wasn't, they weren't sure. And then midway through filming, they thought, okay, well maybe she'll just be a Palpatine. It, that's ins- that is insane. That is insane. You got lucky with the first trilogy not being a complete linear storyline or not being planned out it, back in the 70s and 80s. With this, with what Star Wars has become now, you need to plan this shit out. Oh, my God. It is insane how they, how they just went into this and thought, ah, we'll figure it out halfway through. That's, that's horrible planning. And if you guys didn't know, we are diehard Star Wars fans. Well, like, the the biggest thing is, like, those first three movies, they're, they didn't know it was going to be a trilogy. They didn't know it was going to be like that. So they made uh, the original Star Wars, you know, as good of a movie as they can. And then at the end, you know, make it possible for a sequel, but you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I, I feel so bad for, for like, Daisy Ridley and the other actors because, obviously, I mean, they all should be frustrated, um, really, except for Adam Driver. And I think it's because Adam Driver is, well, he's probably the most successful one out of all of them, besides, mm-hmm. obviously, Harrison Ford. Uh, yeah. But he got his way, too, because he, he died. Yeah. But, uh I mean, it, it. I feel so bad for them because, like, the writers did nothing to help their characters. Yeah, like, they, they didn't know what to do with with Oscar Isaac or John Boyega. They just, they just sat on the sidelines for pretty much the whole movie. I mean, they they pretty much before the Force Awakens, they kind of hyped Poe Dameron up as being the greatest fighter pilot in the galaxy, and. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. That that seemed cool. We never really got to connect with him. And then for John Boyega's yeah. character, Finn, all he did was run around and scream Ray. And then Ray was a Mary yeah. Sue. You couldn't connect with her in any way. So it, it was just just unfortunate. The only one that I kind of could connect with was was Adam Driver's character. And he did, you know, scream and whine all the time. But I mean, I still kind of felt like, you know, with him being part of the Skywalkers, it kind of, you know, gave some depth, but that's only because there was six more films before that. So it, I don't know. It's just, it's just really unfortunate that this, this giant like Disney buys this property. They've had such success with Marvel and they're probably given the greatest intellectual property of, of all, uh, yeah. of, all time in, <laughs> of all time cinema. And they just mess it up so badly. Their spinoffs were fine. I thought all their spinoffs were fine. And the show was great. But Yeah, the Mandalorian was good and the last season of Clone Wars was really good, especially the last arc. Yeah, and it's just 
it's just insane how they just didn't go into this planning it at all. I, I, I'm very excited to see what Taika Waititi is going to do with the next Star Wars film because I think he will I, – I know he's only given one film, but I feel like that can, you know, start getting some of the gears shifting for Disney and show them, okay, maybe this is kind of how what, what, we, what we should do and just try and focus on making one good movie at a time. Well, I also think that uh, the biggest problem with them is, like – I, I really don't think these were movies that they were really interested in making. I think they were interested in making uh, different Star Wars stories, mm-hmm. uh, like what they're doing now, like the, with the Mandalorian, like with uh, the Taika Waititi uh, Star Wars film. I don't think they were necessarily too interested in making a new trilogy. They weren't as invested, and it shows. And I think J.J. Abrams did about as good of a job as you could in bringing, I guess, the fan base at least back in uh, to the Star Wars fan base, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, in doing Episode Seven, I thought, while it is very similar to the original trilogy movies, especially uh, A New Hope, it's still a good setup. And it was back, it, it felt like watching a Star Wars movie. It wasn't, you know fake sets and all that you know bad cgi from you know attack of the clones it was you know real sets and it felt like you were you know with uh you know Chewie and han in the millennium falcon it was awesome and it's one of my favorite movie theater experiences episode seven i would agree. Um, i would agree. but just i think the not necessarily having different directors, but having different writers in each of the other two movies is a big problem. And it's obvious now that Ryan Johnson just wanted to make episode eight so then he could make his own trilogy, which I don't know if he's still doing. And I, I will say something. I would love for him to make his own trilogy. I know a lot of people did not like the Last Jedi. I think if Ryan Johnson made his own trilogy, it would be fantastic. I think it would be so good. I know a lot of Star Wars fans hate him. I think what he just did with Knives Out was incredible. I think what he's done with that's Luke the was weird was thing. Incredible. And I that's think the... he'll make a great trilogy if he's given that chance. But he's got to get creative freedom. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's also a big thing too. Is you gotta give the directors. Uh, like this creative freedom. Although it's, it's hard for me to defend Ryan Johnson and the last Jedi when we literally had to watch Luke Skywalker, uh, drink alien titty milk. (laughs) So, um, never did I think I was going to see that. Um, yeah, I don't blame you there. Uh, and you know, the Canto bite bull crap that happened. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't mind the Last Jedi, and even I think that that was not good. Yeah, I mean, like just everything after Ray holds out that lightsaber for Luke Skywalker, everything after that, after Episode Seven, was just bad, and it sucks because it makes Episode Seven now a worse movie because nothing else happened. Yep, and. And there's obviously stuff that J.J. Abrams was, he was literally, I think, handing the baton to the next director, like, here you go, here's this, 
you know, here's all these stories that you can explore. Uh, you know, you have Finn possibly being force sensitive. Uh, you know, you have Poe. They didn't do a lot with him in Force Awakens, but he was still a likable character. And you have this, uh, you know, unique character in Rey where you don't really know who she is. And she has this weird relationship with Kylo. Um, you know, they basically, they literally split apart at the end of the movie. And literally, Ryan Johnson only decided to explore one of those. And that was the Ray and Kylo uh, relationship. And he really only explored Kylo's side of it, though, which I, I think, I don't know, like just the total abandonment of what Abrams set up is why I think I, I don't like The Last Jedi more than The Rise of Skywalker because it's really evident, especially in episode nine, like all this, there's like subtle digs at The Last Jedi and what it did. And it just shows what what an absolute mess, uh, you know, this trilogy was. And again, I I feel sorry for the actors because Star Wars fans are probably like I'm a pretty passionate fan, but I never have uh, you know cyberbullied any of these actors. They dude like both uh, Kelly Marie Tran who played Rose and Daisy Ridley had to quit social media. Because yeah, they that's, were that's they were bullied off of that, and like, like that's just ridiculous. Like it's it's just a movie, and I mean they yeah. it's not their fault what they did. It's just the it's the poor writing. Yeah, yeah, and I think people are starting to realize that now. But still, like you know, like the farthest I will go to complain is like talking about it on here with you know my other friends when we're debating Star Wars, but. You know, it's not life, life and death, and it it's just disappointing because I, this trilogy did have a lot of hype going into it and a lot of potential, especially after I think it was still a decent setup in Episode Seven. But um, I definitely think it's the Kenobi stuff would have been interesting, but that was also my from like the get go, I was like, yeah, oh, so. That's who I originally wanted it to be, but then I I thought about it, and it, it kind of would have meant that Obi Wan, like Obi Wan, is looked at as like the like the perfect example of what a Jedi should be. You know, he would he followed the rules and everything, and I feel like if he had had you know a wife and then a kid, that would have kind of ruined, I guess, the legacy. But I'm not like I'm not like too big into like you know that stuff like it would have been way better though to be obi-wan's granddaughter than you know palpatine's like it doesn't make goddamn sense yeah and that that's the thing that i i just can't defend like what just why like that that's like something on reddit that you see like a, a conspiracy theorist like oh palpatine is gonna come back in episode nine like, yeah that, and that's and so it's- stupid and lazy it is lazy. I definitely think that they just took everything from Reddit. I mean, he, although it was a clone, first of all, that's really stupid writing to make him make Palpatine a clone in the movie. Oh, yeah. By the way, he was a clone. Yeah. He was thrown off a, off a ledge in the Death Star 
Then the Death Star proceeded to blow up and rain over uh, that Ewok planet. I'm blanking on the name right now. But it's like, how the hell... Endor? Endor, yeah. It's like, how the hell would he even have gotten out of there? How would his, you know, force spirit have gotten out of there? I just, it was so lazy. It felt like... If it really did feel like some redditors like wrote the the Star Wars film, it, it was ah man. We, we should we can talk about this all day about how we don't like this new trilogy. We we will be having a Star Wars podcast very soon. I can promise you that. Yes, we definitely should. Which ones would you want to review? Would you want to review the old trilogy or the new trilogy or the prequels? I feel like we need a full podcast for each one. <laughs> like, Dude, I, I would be very much down. Like, and get Jack on here. Dude, that might be like a two-hour pod. I'm not even kidding. I, would, there was, I wouldn't mind it, though. So there was one time we were driving back from Kansas City, me, Andrew, and Jack, and we literally, for the entire three hours, talked about Star Wars. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you guys because so much of it. So, and this well, was before episode nine came out, and we were ripping it. So oh, yeah, you, well, you could only imagine what it would be like now. Well, it's just insane how how many new things are are able to be done with the force, and Ray doesn't even know how to do how to use some of this force. I mean, I guess she is a Palpatine. She is a Palpatine. That, that's just such a lazy way to explain why she's overpowered too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I guess it's the only explanation why. So I guess I understand that, but then that's kind of, but it doesn't give your audience a chance to connect with the character. Like you don't get a chance to connect with her because she doesn't have faults. Like you have faults. Yeah. And it's also just so hard to connect. Also like Chris Duckman said, I remember when the uh, episode nine came out, he thinks the biggest mistake they made was, you know, they waited, you know, until th- basically halfway through the last movie to reveal who her parents were. Like, that should be something that you should know by at least the end of the second movie, which we yes. thought we did, which we thought we did. And I mean, people didn't really care that who Luke's parents were. And I, I honestly Whoa. didn't care. I, I honestly didn't care that much when, when, uh, like what who Ray's parents were no one cared about who Luke's parents were until it was the big reveal okay then yeah, I was then, then every I think people care no like after that that's when people were like oh oh god and that's what made Star Wars so legendary after that what yeah. was that moment uh sorry I I needed to clarify that but no you're good like you're good. I honestly didn't really care that much about who her parents were. Like, it was like this big secret and I don't know. It, it was just stupid to, to just like hide it from you the entire time. The, the reason why they hid it is just because they didn't know what to do with it. And that's just so frustrating to the viewer. I did like though. So in the star Wars duel of the fates leak script or whatever from Colin Trevorrow's. I, I got to read it. I, I read it. The take that he had on the parents was interesting. I who, say. who was it that he had? Uh, I, so it was like a weird last name. It was like Solano or something like that. And basically Kylo. 
actually killed her parents, which I think would have been a way better storyline. Yeah, that that probably would have. And then it, they probably wouldn't have kissed at the end. That, oh, I forgot about that. That was so weird. It was weird. It's like, what What the hell? Weren't that they going to kill okay, like two movies ago? Literally 30 minutes before she stabbed yeah. him. That was probably the funniest thing I've ever seen John Boyega post was like Star Wars romance and it was just Kylo trying to kill Rey yeah, the entire time. But oh, uh, yeah, that, I mean, just why? Like that that's literally something that they saw probably on the Instagram comments or what, because everyone was shit. Let's put with, that they, in, guys. They were like, oh, let's try and appeal. Because remember, everyone wanted either uh kylo and ray to be together or finn and poe so they they probably i feel like they honestly just flipped a coin and was like all right you two kiss yeah okay this this is the last thing i'll bring up about star wars because we got to move on to borat but do you remember do you remember when uh finn is sinking and he goes ray ray there's something i've always wanted to tell you and he's sinking in the sand in episode nine. Oh yeah yeah I, I am 100% convinced that the writers completely forgot about that plot. And after Probably. all the shoots were done, they were like, oh, shit, we forgot to write that in. Probably. And, and so at the end, they, they tried to cover their own asses by saying he was going to tell her that he was Force-sensitive. No, he that's wasn't. What, that's, no, what he you wasn't. Were going, that's what you were going to tell Ray before you died? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, I'm sure. It's so, oh, it's so poorly written. It's so poorly written. We can go on about it all day. We will have a Star Wars podcast. Don't Very see. soon. We'll do a Star Wars series. How about that? Like each episode will be a new a new a new uh episode of Star Wars. But should so, we get on to the next piece of news? This is our this is our last piece of news, which I think we'll probably talk a lot about too. Yes. Uh, yeah. All right. Borat two. There's a second Borat. There's a second Borat coming out, and folks, I could not be more excited right now. But it's uh, a Criterion channel right now. Yeah, head to the Criterion channel. You'll find Borat, the first one up there. It's a masterpiece. But Borat 2, it, it was secretly filmed, and apparently it has been shown to people. Yeah. It, it has been screened for some people. Test and, audience. Yeah, test audience. And the film is essentially about how Borat is he, – He's uh, the film will be about Borat believing he's a celebrity after the success of his first film. So I think this is genius. I think this is absolutely genius that they're coming out with this movie because – Especially now. Especially now because everything you say can get, can get you canceled no matter what you say. So we need some something like Borat to come in here and just say the mo- most outlandish things, and he can't get canceled because everyone loves Borat. Nobody doesn't like Borat. Dude, it's w- definitely one of the movies that I don't know if I've ever laughed harder. Probably oh, like I the other night I was crying. One, once Upon a Time in Hollywood is definitely up there, especially the uh, <laughs> the last uh, fifteen minutes. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I just I can't wait. Um, I think just like with everything going on, like you said, like 
I want to see Borat at one of the protests. I want to see Borat doing like not wearing a mask in like a, a heavily populated area, like during the <laughs> during quarantine. Like I want to see that. Yeah, it's insane that they were filming this during the coronavirus pandemic. I, I feel like that's when I feel like at the beginning of quarantine, Sasha Baron Cohen was like, I am going to like it would be hilarious if Borat was dealing with coronavirus. I guarantee I guarantee you he got this idea probably at the beginning of quarantine. He could have. And I, I remember people talking about I think it was Lights Camera Barstool. They were talking about how Borat was such a a ginormous thing back in 2004, 2005, 2006. It was one of those years. I think it was 06. Yeah, and how they were like, it, it could not be recreated today because someone would instantly hear that Borat voice recorded on their phone, posted to social media, and people would know that a new Borat film was being produced. However, what was interesting is that this did happen, but it was at the end of filming so no one really knew about it until they announced it. It was just rumors. No one really knew for sure what they were doing. It could have easily been a Dolly G reboot, which was another show Sasha Baron Cohen did with the Borat. Parent. Oh, yeah. But but they they officially announced it. So they only got that one video of him driving a car. So we don't know much about this film. And I got to I'm so pumped for it. Yeah, I'm. I am not going to watch a trailer. I'm. I. I will refuse to watch it because I don't want to. I don't want to know a single joke from yes, the trailer. That's, that's exactly. That's my thing too. I mean, like, because um, like that. That's that the I biggest problem with. That's the biggest problem I think with comedies nowadays is they show all the jokes in the trailer, and it's like. Well, that and oh, the comedies are usually bad. Yeah, nowadays they are. Um, I mean, besides, like, the nice guys, I can't really think of – I mean, and I guess, like, uh, the early uh, 2010s were really the last time I think we had a lot of good comedies come out, like the other guys and the Jump Streets. And we, we've talked about this already on the mm-hmm. pod. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think this is the perfect time, especially for such, like, a sad and – solemn year this year has been like to have some Borat in your life yeah I, I specifically remember seeing a tweet where they they had come out and said that Borat is coming out and someone said 2020 is starting to look up and I agree yeah. with, them. with with Borat being the first breaking news I think that is that is good however how many how how many people do you think are going to try and get this film canceled Oh God, it's gonna oh. be so bad. Well, you, you know, like every like six months, people try to cancel Robert Downey Jr. for *Tropic Thunder*. Oh yeah, that tweet. It's like makes the it's like it's like really like we're still talking about that. Like, I I, I dude, that, that. Oh, we should watch it this weekend. We we could review that if you want to, dude. That oh man, that. Tom Cruise's performance in that movie is one of my favorites in a comedy. He's so funny in that movie. Okay. I'll, I'll have to give it a watch then. I'm trying to watch all the all my Stanley Kubrick films before I go see Clockwork Orange in theaters. I, I can't believe Robert Downey Jr. got nominated for Tropic Thunder. I know, dude. And then the Oscars just came out with that inclusivity thing like about 
and the fact that they they nominated Robert Downey Jr. in blackface. Well, oh. and that was the whole idea of the movie, though, was the hypocrisy that Hollywood has with people like portraying people that they don't look like at all. Yeah, it's like. I mean, how many times in the last year have we had, like, wasn't it like Scarlett Johansson was going to play, like, a a transgender and uh, people were ripping on her and then she dropped out of it and Halle He's Berry was going to do something? Actors and actresses. Like, one yeah. of them is, is from Euphoria. She, her, uh, yeah. I'm not sure her, what her name is, but she is a damn good actress. She's so good. She would be perfect for that role. But... Hollywood passed on her because probably because they just want Scarlett Johansson with that name. You slap that on a poster and you get butts in seats. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. I, I just, it, it can get frustrating when real art isn't recognized. Well, yeah. And that, again, that's why I think I, I love Tropic Thunder because I love how it like points out the hypocrisies that Hollywood has. Like, I think that's, that's hilarious. That and that's why Robert Downey Jr. did it. That's what he said on the Joe Rogan podcast. He talks about it. Yeah, I got I gotta listen to that podcast episode. I never did listen to it. I should be, probably not listen. Because Joe Rogan asked him about it. He's like, Do you think you can make Tropic Thunder today? He's like, Probably not. No, no way you could. Well and there's I, I'm not gonna spoil it for you, but there's actually a another thing that they do in that movie that was really uh really uh, scrutinized uh, at the time. And it has to do with Ben Stiller's character in a movie that he did. And it's, it's pretty messed up actually, well, I've but seen the, I've seen the beginning, like with those opening trailers. Oh, the opening trailers are hilarious. Yeah. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. MTV movie award uh, for best kiss, Toby Maguire. <laughs> that was pretty good, but yeah, dude. So we kind of went off on a tangent there, but Borat too. I think it's safe to say we're we're pretty excited for this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Honestly, make a Tropic Thunder two too as well. Like, yeah. get, give it, give it to us. If if Borat could succeed, like with being like non PC, maybe we could see a Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'd have to have. I we we would have to have all the characters back. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I'll show you that. I'll show you that movie uh, sometime soon. Okay. All right. Cool. Should we get into Tenet now? Yes, sir. All right. So, Tenet, directed by Christopher Nolan, and I'm not quite sure how to explain the plot, so I'm just gonna have letter I'll by do it. for me. I can I'm do it. Only one word: Tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world. The protagonist, John David Washington, journeys through the twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something in something beyond real time. Um, this film was highly anticipated by many, including my co-host Sam Alessandro. Um, <laughs> Christopher Nolan is high, a highly regarded director, except on for, on film Twitter. Pretty much everywhere else, he is highly regarded, which I don't understand. He's not my favorite director, but I don't understand why he gets criticized so much. Um, however, I, I was very excited for this film. Um, 
I will, I've seen it twice. Uh, the first time, it left me very frustrated. The second time, I was a lot more happy and really enjoyed it a lot, actually. Um, I gave this movie an 82, and uh, 82 out of 100, and uh, I, I definitely want to see it again. I would really like to see it again. So, Sam, why don't you go just give your quick thoughts, and then we'll go into spoilers. Yeah, so um, for one, I think it, it was kind of the same with me. Like, I thought it was a good movie, but I originally thought it was, like, in the bottom half of his movies. And then the second time I saw it, I was just, like, I, I couldn't get, even after the first viewing, and I was I was a little disappointed, um, but I still really liked it. Like, I, I couldn't find myself, like, thinking about anything else. Like, I, I couldn't get oh, yeah, that, the movie the movie out of my head. I, was, I just kept on thinking about it. And the last time I really had that feeling watching a movie was Inception, which is my favorite movie of all time. And I just think it's – this is, I think, his most unique movie. In like, this is his most original and I think this is like Nolan at his most like self, I guess. Like this is like the most uh, like creative he's been. Like it, it, just in terms of like like how he comes it's up with these. With yeah, and like I just I don't know how he does it. I he might be from the future. He might be inverted. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but. Uh, so my positives for the movie, wait, wait, I thought the real fast. What's your score? oh yeah. So my score was a ninety three. I regraded. It was originally an eighty five. I regraded it to a ninety three, um, which now puts it at about the midway to top half of his movies for me. Um, so my positives are, I think. Okay, wait. We're the, gonna. I'm just warning everybody. We're gonna get into spoilers now, so skip ahead. And um, just to avoid spoilers. So we're going to get into spoilers now. All right. So my positives, I think the opening scene is one of my favorites of his. It's not quite the Dark Knight, but I actually think it's better than Inception's. Um, just barely. But I, like seeing it in the theater, like it was really, really cool. And uh First off, Ludwig uh, Gronson, I think is how you say it. His soundtrack is amazing in this movie. I've been listening to it uh, for the past week, and it's it's so good. You want an Oscar for Black Panther, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and The Mandalorian is yeah. a great score, too. Yes. That, he what Real quick about The Mandalorian, he did something so different with the Star Wars theme, and it's it is lived in my head rent free. Sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, you're, you're good. Um, and yeah, I mean, his score, it, it fits so well with the movie. And, uh, there are like very, very small hints of Hans Zimmer in there. Just, just, uh, like sprinkled in the score. But, uh, yeah, just he, I would be shocked if he didn't get nominated and he might honestly win, uh, He's probably well. I, I haven't seen many new movies this year, but he's definitely my front runner right now uh, for uh, best uh, score. Um, so the opening scene I thought was uh, really good. 
um, it really, uh, I think it, it got me thinking right away, got me on the edge of my seat. Um, once again, another well shot movie, just like every other Christopher Nolan movie, really. I think like Denis Villeneuve, he really has a good eye for uh, just like setting up shots and getting the camera uh, set like in the right place. And, you know, those IMAX shots are just beautiful um, to look at. And it, it really is incredible to see him accomplish everything in camera. Like there are things that are shown in this movie that I know for a fact I will not see for a long time. Like I, I don't know how he did it. Some yeah, of the scenes for from that opera house you won't see again for a long time. Something like that. Yeah. With the main actors running and the explosion right behind them, you won't yeah. see them. And like the the building, like being destroyed and built back up. And I, I mean, mean he crashed a plane. Yeah. He crashed a plane. And it, it it's just really just from looking at it, it's just like from a director perspective, I just don't know how he made this movie uh from that um perspective. And I mean, I think the action was really good. Um it was actually very good. I think it was bet his best action movie in terms of that since Inception. I think it had better action than The Dark Knight Rises. Um, for sure. Especially the uh, the last fight. It was a little underwhelming. Uh, I remember thinking that. But uh, yeah, I think the action was really good. Especially like the inversion uh, part added to it. Um, I think the, the entire cast is really great. Uh, John David Washington especially. is He's so charismatic and... I've only seen him in two movies and I've loved him in both movies. Uh, in Black Klansman, I thought he was so good in it. And in this movie, like he was just really likable. And again, he was charismatic, uh, did all his stunts, which is really impressive. And even for a character that maybe wasn't necessarily, you know, it was hard to be emotionally connected to him. I still think he did such a good job. And Robert Pattinson also, shocker, he knocked out of the park again. Um, really all the acting's really good. Kenneth Branagh is, he works for me in this movie. Uh, I i can't believe that he was able to pull off a Russian accent like that. That was really good. He did a pretty good job with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Nolan, it's not really that surprising because he's always been, I think, pretty good with with casting, aside from uh, Rachel in Batman Begins. Yeah. Um, that's really the only time I can really complain. And I guess, I mean, Scarlett Johansson in The Prestige isn't, like, amazing, but that's, that's mainly because she's just, like, a side character anyway. Um Probably my only negative from the movie is the sound mixing is not great. Um, I think the story, I know you'll... Complaint, though. Yeah, like, I, I know like you'll probably talk about it a little bit more. I think the story, while it is pretty basic, I found it, like, like I found that to be okay, because, like, I don't necessarily... Like, it doesn't have the emotional connection that, like, Inception had. 
uh, which is why it's not quite, you know, the masterpiece I think that that movie is. Um, but like, just even though it's not as strong of a story, I still found myself enjoying the film because you still had this great action. You still had this unique idea of inversion and, you know, uh, how they interpreted time in this movie. And so, like, I was still able to be engaged in, in the story and I was okay with that. It was kind of like, I, I was telling my roommate Thomas uh, that Tenet kind of reminded me, even though it's way different, um, kind of reminded me of Mad Max, uh, Fury Road, because I think both movies are huge, huge, huge action movies um, in scale. And I think the stories are pretty simple, relatively simple, and you're still able to just enjoy it and have fun. And that's what makes that movie so great. I think uh, both movies is you, you don't necessarily need a, uh, the greatest plot. Like I was still able to enjoy it, but um, yeah, the sound mixing I would say is probably the my my only like massive complaint. Um, I I guess I didn't really notice it in his other movies because I know The Dark Knight Rises had some had a lot of complaints when the prologue released, but he fixed it before. Uh, the movie came out. It was, I think that was more honestly just Tom Hardy mumbling because he does that a lot. Like anyone who can say they understand Tom Hardy and the Revenant the entire time is lying <laughs> to you because he he just likes to mumble. And I don't know, I still like it. but And I, I don't necessarily see it as a flaw. And I remember I saw a quote from Nolan a few days ago. He I found it interesting. He doesn't necessarily think that hearing all dialogue is like necessary. Like, and I, I think like for me, like he, he does do that intentionally because he wants the viewer to really experience it uh, in the theater. And, you know, for me, it doesn't bother me because I like, like kind of rethinking the movie and exploring it another time. And so, and the second time around, I didn't really have as big of a problem. Really the only scene that's, it's like bad is the train scene with the Russian at the beginning of the movie. Like I, I think I heard one sentence that he was saying. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't understand anything. And even, even honestly in the <clears throat> uh, beginning uh, when they're rushing the opera house, I, I cannot hear anything he says under that mask. I really have a tough time. Really? I really have a tough time hearing him. I mean, I hear some stuff, wow. but not a we, lot. I mean, well, that, that we is, do, we do that? live it. We do live in a twilight world. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Robert Downey Jr. was upset about that. Or Pattinson. Um, because they brought up twilight. You said Robert Downey Jr., Robert Pattinson. Or Robert Pattinson, yeah. Um, Idiot. My, my biggest complaint uh, about the film is definitely, obviously, the sound mixing. I mean, they had to switch from the 35-millimeter print or film to the uh, digital prints, I guess, to enhance the sound. Um, another thing that I, that I 
really, you know, I, I feel like this is a fault of, of a couple of Christopher Nolan films is I couldn't really get invested into the characters. Um, I mean, John David Washington doesn't even have a name in the film. Um, his, his name is just the protagonist. Uh, we don't, we, all we know about uh, Neil is just his friendship with uh, the protagonist. And um, I feel like the only character that I can really connect to is Elizabeth Debicki. And yeah, definitely. I, I, I felt that too. Yeah. And, and a lot of people will say that Christopher Nolan can't write, you know, female characters while I, I completely disagree. He, he did a great job writing Murph in Interstellar. And did That's so fan- stupid. <laughs> yeah. He did a fantastic job writing um, Elizabeth Debicki in this film as well. You really feel what she wants out of this. She can't, she's, she's trapped in a marriage. She can't see her son. She wants out. And her husband is basically abusive. And yeah. he did a great job of, of writing that character. Um, but th- those are, are my, my two big um, uh, flaws. Uh, one thing that I, this is, this is a, an unpopular take. Um, I feel like whenever Christopher Nolan, you know, does his obsession with time in films, I feel like that can set him up for paradoxes and set him up for flaws. Um, I, while I can't name exactly uh, a couple paradoxes, um, I know there were a few in there. I saw this a couple days ago, so I, I should have narrowed or I should have wrote it down. Um, but I, I did notice a couple, you know, flaws with how the time, you know, played out throughout the film. Uh, he did this in uh, Interstellar as well. Uh, the fact that Matthew McConaughey goes to space and knocks on the bookshelf in mm-hmm. itself is basically a paradox because who sent him there in the first place? You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 I just feel like when he does this time stuff, while yes, it is cool and it's very thought out well, I feel like it does set him up for little little flaws without the film. And that's just my third and final flaw with this film. I feel like everything else, technically, this is done amazing. Um, I feel like with the practical effects, it looks fantastic. Um, I, I think this is a fun film. It's a great action film. Um, I don't think it's the best of the year, um, but I'm sticking at an 82. This definitely can change for me. I definitely want to see this again. So it could easily change. My score could easily change to something better. Yeah. There, there were a few things that I definitely think that he missed out on, like, a few moments that I think could have made the film even better. Uh, one of my thing, so the, like, literally in the first, like, few minutes, you, like, the second time around, like, you'll, you'll catch yourself noticing things that you didn't notice the first time around. For example, this is a big spoiler, but the red string at the beginning in the opera. Yeah. In the yeah, opera house. Cool. I did not notice that at the beginning, so... That that shows, you know, Robert Pattinson's character was there since the beginning and he mm-hmm. saved he saved the protagonist multiple times. He ends up saving him at the end. He's it's revealed that he he ends up taking a bullet for him. Kind of his guardian angel in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so it definitely makes you appreciate it it definitely makes you care more about Neil as well. 
um, I think, the second time around. And so there's a moment, the moment I'm talking about, um, at the end, I felt like, I don't know about you, but when it's Aaron Taylor Johnson, John David Washington, and uh, Robert Pattinson, those three, after they finish the mission. That part is pretty good. And he points a gun at him. I thought for a split second we were going to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. I thought so, too. <laughs> uh, and I, I I have to admit, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I, was, I was a little disappointed. I was like, dude, like, if he would have done that, I you probably would have started. Points from you. Uh, yeah, like, it would have probably went up to, like, a 97 just for that alone, <laughs> like. Start playing some Ennio Morricone. Oh. Yes. By the way, that vi- I probably already told you this, but my vinyl came of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Dude, I feel like if I bought the vinyl for Tenet, my uh, record player would break. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be so loud, but it'd be worth it because it'd sound awesome. Yeah, it did. I really. That's another thing I really liked about this film was, was the score. I thought it was really well done. It, it gave that, you know, like – in a sense, it felt like the music was being played backwards, kind of like just to give the sense of the film, which I really enjoyed. I I was reading some of the comments today because I was listening to it while doing homework. And somebody said Neil's theme, if you reverse it backwards, I don't know if this is true, but if you reverse it backwards, it's uh, the protagonist's theme. Really? S- somebody said that. Yeah, in the comment section. I don't know if that's true. I'd have to look at it, but I'll show you some of the songs that are my personal favorite. Um, I want to know from for you, Nolan, what was your favorite part of the movie? Because I have mine. I have my personal favorite. My personal favorite part of the movie... I, to be honest, it, it would have to be the final um, battle going into that, that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, going into that, I felt like there, there were a lot of stakes. And I felt like this. It, it was just fun overall. It was incredible action to watch. And it, it was just insane to see how Nolan was able to weave people going backwards in time and going forwards in time with the building exploding then being reconstructed and being blown up again. That was crazy. It's, it's, it, it was incredible filmmaking. So a few things from that. I think that that was the set that he said was the, like one of the largest ever, like practical sets, like mm-hmm. real sets that they, that he's ever made. I'm pretty sure that was one of them. And that, that scene reminded me a lot of Inception because I'm pretty sure the, the bad soldiers bad guys wore the same uh suits that they wore in inception yeah but um yeah that scene was uh really cool it also made me want another uh christopher nolan war film yeah like can i I say my second favorite uh scene yeah uh it's def it's definitely when they're on the highway as well and they're they're driving throughout it both both forward in time and backwards in time it's really well done. The scene, okay, so I, I'll admit, like, the opening scene really got me hooked, and then it was kind of getting a little slow at times. And then when they start inverting, and the big reveal is he, so in the trailer, 
he fights this inverted person and you don't know who it is. And the reveal is he is actually ended up fighting, fighting himself. Mm-hmm. That, that like blew my mind. I couldn't, I was like, really? Cause I, I knew right away, right when that person ran out, I was like, oh, okay, well that's him from the future. I just, I don't really? know. Why. I just immediately knew. I was like, oh, that's just him from the future. Well, I remember thinking it was weird because like Robert Pattinson, like threw the guy and he like looked at him and just ran away. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I knew. That's, that's weird. We're going to – that's going to come up later, but I don't know what what it was. Um, and then I was like, oh, he's he's fighting himself. That whole, that whole scene was – seeing him, like, fight himself again, it, that was so, so The choreography good. for that is insane. That, yeah, so the choreography in this movie, I think, was really good because – People think that Chris Nolan can't direct action for some reason, and I think it's because oh, ridiculous. Because yeah, I mean, they obviously haven't seen the hallway scene in in, in Inception or uh, all of the Dark Knight. Well, and like people think, well, it's because they see the superhero movies now, and you know they're fighting you know a hundred aliens, and you know they yeah, kill all of them and green screen. Yeah, with some stunt double, and you know. They don't got no Tom Cruise on there, but yeah, uh, like I think like the biggest, the only reason why I could see it is because the Dark Knight movies, those are super, super realistic fights. Like it's like, you know, a few punches, like the, the Bane fight is like, I think that's a really good fight because it's, it's pretty realistic. Like he just punches him a few times and then Bane absolutely beats the living crap out of him after that. And I think the only reason why people think that is because of the last battle in Dark Knight Rises when it's the, uh, like the, like the war in the city. Cause there are a few moments where like there's people like punching like air and whatnot, like in the background and it, and it's not really good to look at, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the action was really well done in this movie, and so that was probably my favorite part when it was like the reveal that he was fighting himself, because I remember I was like, whoa, and I really liked the opening, and again, like the ending, it the ending was confusing for me the first time around, but Second time around, I understood it way better, mm-hmm. way better. Like, uh, it was pretty crazy, like, seeing how many times – I wonder how many times Neil inverted in that movie. I wondered that, too. I, I, I'm going to – if I see it again, I'll probably have to count it. Because, like, is, does this mean, like, is there a reality where he's actually still alive? probably honestly this is probably the one movie christopher nolan could probably make a sequel of he won't that's what people were were theorizing i I was he i i highly highly doubt it but i don't think he will either i i'd I'd like to see it yeah (laughs) i'd like to see it i would too but i doubt i doubt he would he's so against it yeah honestly like uh, uh, i guess another negative was the only, like, the scenes that I really didn't like, the only ones really were the ones with Priya. I found her annoying. So I actually was pretty Wait, glad. Wait, which, he, I'm trying to think. 
the chick that he had to kill at the end. Mission accomplished. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. Her. Her. She. What? Yes. That story. That plot. Like she's. Was, was like she's. Bad. She's fine. But I just. I. I just didn't care. I didn't I just, care about it either. That's so much that I forgot. Wow. But I. I did like. I did like at the end that it's like revealed that he was the one that like actually ended up recruiting her and everything, and like he was the founder of Tenant. And he recruited Robert Pattinson and all that. That was cool. Mm-hmm. But, like, you really don't realize until, like, basically the last two minutes of the movie why Priya's even there. Yeah. So. I just did not care about her. Yeah. One bit. And, yeah, I mean, that was, that was I guess, another complaint. But it wasn't, like, it didn't get to, to the point where it was, like, oh, my God, it's it's this, you know, chick yeah. again. like. It was just like, can this scene, you know, hurry up? I want to see plane crash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like she wasn't something that, that I was dreading. But that was another great scene. Was the build up to the heist of the airport, uh, the soundtrack like blaring and like they're getting ready to like prepare for it. Like that was really cool. Yeah, it it was and really well done. It also showed like just. That this movie, I think, solidifies it should shut up every single critic of the uh, Robert Pattinson as Batman because he's he's really good in this movie he and he's gives, he gives such great Bruce Wayne vibes in this movie. Yeah, he, and he's so he's so subtle. Like all, all the actors are, but especially him and Washington, and that's why I like like them so much in particular. Is so good. Yeah, and. Like, I'm not a big fan of people overacting. Um, I, I Like, it can get to be too much for some people. And I just like that. Like, obviously, they were trying, but, like, it, it, it felt like they were, like, in the situation. And I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that everyone did a great job with their acting performance. And I, I felt that there was a lot of great chemistry, even between Elizabeth Debicki and... John David Washington, just mm-hmm. everyone all around did their part, I feel. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Well, so I give it an 82, Sam, you give it a 93? Yep. All right. Well. Are you ready to rank uh, this movie in his top? Or where, where would you rank this in his filmography? You're not going to like it. Is it the last one? No, no. I think Interstellar uh, and Following are, are his last ones, but I'd say it's his, it's in the bottom three, though. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I still have not seen The Prestige, so that could change, too. I'm telling you right now, if you don't like The Prestige, you can die. <laughs> I probably will like it, because... I, okay, I've honestly... I've heard people say they don't like Inception, and well, it does like make me think like what what the hell is your problem? Yeah. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about the prestige ever. Okay. All right. I I will be honestly I'll be shocked if you if you don't like it. I mean, I'll probably like it. I don't think that there's been there's not one Christopher Nolan film that I don't like. Like I like every single one. Yeah. He's Even Interstellar and Following. I still really like 
He still drops bangers. Don't oh, worry. He totally does. Like anyone who who would have Interstellar in their filmography would it would be huge for them. Yeah. So I'll give you my quick list. I made it on uh, on Letterbox. Um, Follow so Letterbox. Inception is my number one, and I there are flaws with that movie. I can acknowledge it, but it's Django, the reason Django's my favorite movie, and there are, I know there are flaws in it. Yeah, I acknowledge it. Like it, it's the movie that made me fall in love with movies, so I will always always love love that movie and it just blew my mind how unique and creative it was honestly like had tenant been just had that emotion emotional connection i probably it'd probably be very close to my top movie mm-hmm. but it just didn't have that like with Cobb the, the emotional attachment um then the dark knight obviously the prestige is number three I have a Memento, Batman Begins, and then, so I'm kind of torn between Tenet and Dunkirk. I'm leaning towards Tenet because I feel like if I were to watch a movie, I'd probably rather watch Tenet, even though, man, it's tough, because they're actually, I think, both very similar movies in terms of, like, really great spectacle movies, but just like you said, no really character attachment. Yep. And and that's what that's what I feel like those two movies especially are missing in order for it to be like considered a a great movie. Um which it sucks, but you know you don't always drop masterpieces every time, so it's okay. Uh then I got the Dark Knight Rises. I mean there's problems with it, but I still really enjoy that movie. Um, Interstellar, it might actually end up being my last one, but I do have Insomnia in my last one, only because I still really liked it, but it's been so long since I've seen it. I need to give it a rewatch. And I haven't seen Following. Oh, really? Oh, Following's a pretty good movie. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean... Yeah, like Interstellar, weirdly enough, Interstellar, besides like The Dark Knight and probably The Prestige, Interstellar might have like the strongest like characters. Like we've been talking about, uh, you know, Dunkirk and Tenet's, you know, weakness of character attachment and whatnot. Interstellar might have the strongest. Really? Like, Like I feel like. That's that's what it all had. I I feel like what they what I guess, was missing. Yeah. What he was missing Mur- was Murph. It's like a, she's it's, well, the father the father daughter stuff. Like I don't know. Like but like with it, the it was also I I didn't feel any connection to him or even the dad or the no the grandpa no. But well, I don't like John Lithgow so. That but that, but I, I he did that intentionally though. Like it was a movie about a father and a daughter, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, again, it's crazy that that's probably my least favorite. Because I would honestly probably rather watch Insomnia than Interstellar. It's just it's pretty crazy that that's probably my least favorite movie. Yeah. Well, it was, was it you that liked the tweet that like? Nolan fanatics either their favorite movies either 
Inception or or what was the other one? Was it Interstellar? Probably. I think I know what tweet you're talking about, but I can't remember it. Yeah, I, I'll have to look at it, but one of them was Inception. I was like, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, we're both like the cliche college students liking Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah, the Chad Christopher Nolan. <laughs> the Virgin Todd Phillips. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Yeah. So, what Tenet. a picture. What Tenet. a picture. Go see it. Go see Tenet. It, I, need, I need to see it in IMAX. Yeah, I do too. I'm probably going to be looking at a way to go see it here soon. Yeah. But, all right. 82 from me, 93 from Sam. And uh, we're not sure what we'll be reviewing next time. That might have to be between a text between me and Sam to figure out what we should review for the next episode. Um, but Sam, do you have anything else? Nope. No, nothing, nothing else. All right. We, we, we live in a twilight world. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a twilight world. I don't, I don't know what the next line is after that. It's like something like code. That's like yeah. the start of their code or something, something like, like that. Something dusk. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. All right. All right. Well, until next time, guys, this is Inglorious Podcasters, and we will see you later. All right. We are out, Sam. That was we, a long one. I told you. Well, we, we went on like a 20-minute rant on Star Wars, and that held us. Yeah. I, I should have known. I should have known better. Once we write Star Wars, that I mean, that's basically a podcast. We on its own. Star Wars and Tenet. We knew that was going to take us forever. That that was that was. It's a trap. <laughs> All right, dude. I gotta get going to bed because I'm gonna be up early mowing. All right. Hey, would you want to watch uh, the Prestige this weekend? Sure, I'll do it. Um, what uh, what day are you coming down? Um, most likely Friday. Friday? Maybe Saturday, but most likely Friday. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Right. Just let us know. Cool. Peace. We'll get some alcohol. All right. All right. I'll see you later, man. See you.